0: Thank the Lord. He is risen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with us to Matthew chapter 28. Following your Bibles as I read. In the beginning of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail! And they came and held him by the, by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city, and showed unto the chief priest all things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, and it his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he, while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of the, the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we know it not only by reading it because you've told us so, but we also know it because many of us have trusted Jesus as our Savior. On that day that we were saved, Lord, we were born again and changed into a child of God, all because of the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also experience it in our lives as Christians, as we are able to live for the Lord in a dark world because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, and He has given us that power of the resurrection. We thank You for that. Lord, our prayer today is that if there's someone here who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior, that today they would see Him as the crucified and risen Savior, and they would put their faith and trust in Him as the answer for their sins. Lord, I ask that you give enablement to bring the message. May you receive glory through it all, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of Christianity and the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of any hope that we have for the future, and the Christian has a secure hope because Jesus is alive. To many people... Easter Sunday is just a nice time in the springtime where we think about things coming to life and we're called to think about that and we join in on the celebration and so there's Easter candy and Easter bunnies and Easter eggs and Easter baskets and Easter bonnets and, and Easter clothes and all those things. Nothing wrong with just those trappings, but for many people, that's all it is. And some might even tack on an Easter service because it's a special day. And then come Monday and it's all back to normal and there's really no change. Easter doesn't really mean that much to them. But for the child of God, the believer, the one who's trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, it means so much more. You see, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, if he's not our risen Savior, then Jesus is not the Son of God. If he's not the risen Savior, he's not who he claimed to be, the Son of God. If he's not the risen Savior, the Scripture is not true because the scripture prophesied in the Old Testament that he would rise, and in the New Testament it told us that he would rise. Jesus told them several times, and then he did rise, and then the whole message of the gospel throughout the rest of the New Testament is because Jesus rose from the grave. And so if Jesus did not rise, you can throw your Bibles away. They're no use because they're not true. Jesus is alive, and, and the scripture uh, is true because of that. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, we will not be resurrected ourselves and we will not have a new body someday. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, you have no hope for the future because you will not rise from the grave. The grave will be your final resting place and that will be the end for you and you'll never rise again if Jesus is not the risen Savior. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, we as Christians have no high priest through whom we can pray. We have no high priest to intercede for us. We cannot have the privilege of praying because you don't have the right to pray. Nobody has the right to pray unless Jesus is risen and he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us who believe on him. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, we do not have the power to live for Christ. You cannot do it without the power of God living in you, and a Christian could not live for Jesus if Jesus is not the risen Savior. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, it's really like this. We have no Savior at all. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, you are yet in your sins, as the Scripture says. If Jesus is not the risen Savior, our future will be eternity in hell, not eternity in heaven. If Jesus is not the risen savior, our departed loved ones have died in vain and they trusted they said they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, but you'll never see them again if Jesus is not risen from the grave. If Jesus is not the risen savior, our faith is vain. We are yet in our sins as the Bible says, we are of all men most miserable. But I thank the Lord today that Jesus is risen from the grave. He's alive. He's the risen savior. Now, how do we know that? We know that because the Bible tells us so. And I believe the Bible. The Bible says he is the risen Savior. So Jesus is the risen Savior. And so I want us to look at some things this morning about his resurrection. Six things we're going to mention today about the resurrection of the Lord. The first one is this, the person of the resurrection. Now, just who is this Jesus? Well, I want to mention two things that are very important. He is the Son of God, first of all. He is the Son of God. Jesus is deity. He's God. Jesus is not just a man that lived one, one time many years ago and was a great teacher and, and has had a lasting influence through all the years, these years. That's not the Jesus we're talking about. Jesus is the Son of God. And he is, there has never been anybody like Him. He is the Son of God. Now, He proved that by His life. The things when He walked upon this earth, He proved that by what He did. He healed the sick. The Bible says He healed the the man with palsy. He healed the man with epilepsy. He healed the man with leprosy. He made the dumb to speak and and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. And He made it the blind blind to see. He did all those things. There's nothing too hard for Him. Jesus is the one who healed while He was here. Only the Son of God could do that. Jesus did that. He proved that He was the Son of God. He cast out demons. Demons are spiritual beings and they have power. But the Bible says Jesus is greater than all those, and he proved he was the Son of God. When he met people possessed by demons, all he had to do is speak the word, and they fled. They were afraid because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God, and he He proved this by ruling over nature. You see, the Son of God is God, and He can rule over nature, and Jesus did that. One time, the disciples were out on the sea, and the storm came up, and they were afraid, and Jesus was asleep in the boat. He wasn't afraid, but they were afraid they were going to lose their life. These were seasoned fishermen. They had been through storms before, but this was one that frightened them, and they woke Jesus and said, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus got up and what did he do? He rebuked the wind and the waves, and immediately the wind stopped, and not just the wind, the waves stopped. Now, it's one thing to stop the wind, but it takes a while to stop the waves, but not if you're Jesus. (laughs) And he stopped the waves. You see, he rules over nature. He also walked on the water, you remember? Uh, Jesus did that. How could he do that? He's the Son of God, he can do anything. Jesus is the Son of God. The Bible also says he had control over animals. Uh, Do you remember that? Uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Uh, Last Sunday was Palm Sunday, and uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem. There were two donkeys that day, the Bible tells us. There was the mother donkey, and then there was the, the, the colt. The colt, the gospel tells us, was a male donkey. And Jesus rode on the male donkey. So if you have a correct picture of the, uh, of the coming of the Lord into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, there wouldn't just be one donkey, there'd be two. There'd be Jesus riding on the colt and then the mother do- donkey walk along beside it. But that mother donkey walking along beside of that would not have been that, enough to make that colt behave because that colt had never been ridden on before. Now if you take a, a colt, That's never been ridden before. I don't care if its mother is walking along the side of it. It's not going to be too happy about you getting on its back, but it didn't bother that colt because Jesus was on his back. The creator of the universe, the creator of the the one who made the the donkey, the colt, uh, he was on his back, and so he walked right in. Remember, Jesus had controlled fish, too. Remember one time he told Peter, Peter said, Lord, they're asking about tax. What am I supposed to do? He said, just go down to the sea and cast in a hook. You'll get a fish and you pay the pay the tax with that. Peter went down there. He threw a, a line with a hook into the water, and lo and behold, a fish came up. What did that fish have in its mouth? It had a coin. Now Jesus, the Creator, has control of all animals and He made that fish go get the coin and then He made that fish want to get on the hook and with the coin still in His mouth and when Peter got the fish, there was the fish with the coin. How did that happen? Jesus made it happen. He can do anything. He's the Creator God. He's the Son of God. He proved that when He lived on this earth. He also proved it when He fed the multitudes and, uh, and did other things. Remember, he, there was a feast He went to, or wedding the wedding at Cana, and they ran out of wine. And uh, so they didn't know what to do. And Jesus said, well, just fill those pots up with water. And he made the water into wine. Now, was that hard for him? No, he's the son of God. He does that all the time, by the way. You, you go out the road out here on 22, and there's that vineyard, and uh, they have vines up there where the grapes are. What happens every year on those grapes? Water turns into wine. Water turns into grape juice. What do you mean? Well, God sends the water. God made the plant. God made the water go down and come up through the plant and produce the the grapes that had the juice. Jesus does that all the time. But this time, he just bypassed the vine in the middle. And he just made the water into wine. Jesus can do that. He's the creator creator God. He took five five loaves, which is five biscuits and two fish. And he fed 5,000. Now, that's a big task. But it wasn't just 5,000. It's 5,000 men. In those days, they didn't count the women. Sorry about that, ladies. But they didn't count the women. It wasn't just the the 5,000 men. It was the women plus women and children. So there were many more thousands probably. Jesus fed with just five little biscuits and two fish. He multiplied it. He can do that. He's the Son of God. Then shortly after that, there was another occasion. There were 4,000 men plus women and children. And he fed those with seven loaves and a few fish, it says. And Jesus fed them all. You see, Jesus can do anything because he's the son of God. He proved he was the son of God because he raised the dead. There were three occasions he raised the widow of Nain's son. He raised Jairus' daughter. And then he raised Lazarus who had been dead four days. And he raised him from the grave. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. And Jesus proved he was the son of God. The person of the resurrection is the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's also the savior of man. The Bible says he came to this earth to seek and to save those which were lost. He came to give his life for our sins. You see, you are a sinner. Every one of you are a sinner. I don't care how little little you are or older old you are. I don't care if you're pretty or if you're not pretty. I don't care if you're smart or not smart. I don't care if you're rich or if you're not rich. It doesn't matter. The Lord says every one of you are sinners. That's something all of us have in common. I deserve to go to hell and so do you because of our sin. But Jesus came to pay for our sins... And on the cross of Calvary, he paid for all of our sins. And so this one we're talking about, the resurrected Savior, is the one who who is the Savior of mankind. The reason he came to this earth was to take your sin upon himself on the cross of Calvary, to take the wrath of God that you deserve and I deserve uh, for our sins, take it upon himself, pay it completely, and then rise from the grave as proof that it was all paid for. That's the resurrected Lord. He's the Savior of mankind. He went willingly to the cross and did that, and he paid it completely. When you consider who Jesus is, it's not really hard to believe in the resurrection. In fact, if you consider who Jesus is, it'd be hard to believe anything but the resurrection. How could death hold down the Son of God? How could it happen when he paid it all and he said, it's finished, it's paid. He has to rise from the grave because he's the son of God and he's the savior of mankind. Therefore, because of who he is, by the way, if he can handle everything that was against him and your sin and all the sin of the whole world, if he can handle that in a moment of time on the cross, he can handle your problems. He can handle my problems. And we can bring them to the Lord no matter how big they seem. And we can say, Lord, Please help us, and he is able because of who he is, the person of the resurrection. Also, the providential timing of the resurrection. The Bible says the first day of the week. You see, when Jesus was born, he was born under the law. The Bible tells us in Galatians 4, verse 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus lived under the law. During his lifetime on this earth, he obeyed every law of the law. He obeyed it all. He never sinned one time. He was all, the perfect one, and but he was born under the law. He always did everything that he was supposed to do in accordance to the law because Jesus was without sin. He could not do anything wrong, and so he fulfilled the law. The Bible says when he died, he died on Friday. And I, believe there's, I know there's controversy. Some people say he died on Thursday, and they do it all because of, of what what was said about Jonah in three days and three nights. And, but uh, back in those days, they considered a part of a day a whole day, and I really believe Jesus was, died on Friday, and it proves out in the Scripture if you'll search it. But uh, it doesn't matter whether you believe that or not. That's not the point. But the point is, it, he, did, he did die, and if he died on Friday, which I think he did, then he died, and when he said it's finished, it was still Friday. And he said, it's finished. I've finished my work. Reminds me, you know, of creation. Six days, and he finished his creation, and he rested on the seventh day. Well, according to the law, you could not work on the Sabbath, which was Saturday. Jesus died on Friday. He rested on the Sabbath. He did not work. But then after that was all over, he arose on the first day of the week. He arose on Sunday, what we call Sunday. He arose. And uh, Jesus, Jesus planned it that way, that he would do his work, he would finish his work according to the law, and he would not work at all about paying for our sins on the Sabbath. He rested during the Sabbath, and then he rose again on the third day. Yes, God has a plan, and he fulfilled that plan. He did it just like he said he would do it, and ever since that, we've been been worshiping the Lord not on Sabbath, not on Saturday, but on the first day of the week. And that was true in the New Testament. After this happened, they began to meet on the first day of the week. Why? The law was fulfilled. Jesus fulfilled that. We're not under the law. We don't meet on the Sabbath. We meet on the first day of the week. That's this day because Jesus rose from the grave. Now... The next thing I'd like for us to notice is not only the timing of the of the resurrection, but the power displayed at the resurrection. Now, what power was displayed at the resurrection? First of all, there was power over death. Verse 6 says, He is risen. A wonderful, wonderful statement. He is risen. That's why we respond. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Jesus rose from the grave. He had power over death. Death could not hold him because he finished paying for our sins and he was buried as proof of his death, but he had to come alive. And so after resting that seventh, that seventh day, he arose from the grave and Jesus is alive. What does that mean? That means he came out of the grave clothes. You remember later, the disciples went in and they examined. I think these two ladies in, in Mark and Matthew 28 saw it too because he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And I believe they saw, saw the same thing the disciples saw later, and that is they saw the grave clothes laying there. Just laying there, collapsed. They, they, were, they were wrapped like mummies in those days, and so it wasn't unwrapped so he could get out. They were just laying there. In other words, he came through the grave clothes. He was resurrected. He came through the grave clothes. The napkin was about his head. It was laid over by itself and, and folded up, laid there. And that's what these ladies saw too. He is risen. He's alive. He conquered death. He came forth out of the grave. And by the way, when they rolled away the the stone, it wasn't Jesus rolled away the stone. The angel rolled away the stone. Why did he roll away the stone? So they could see what was inside, that Jesus wasn't there. Jesus came through the stone, just like, remember, he later met with the disciples, and he appeared in the room, the doors being shut, the Bible says. He walked through the wall. He didn't need to open the door. He had a glorified, resurrected body. Now, the Bible says we're going to have a body like that, some, that someday. I don't know about you, but I'm sort of looking forward to that, walking through that first wall. It's <laughs> going to be interesting. <laughs> but uh, that's what Jesus did. And he, so he came out of the tomb. He was alive. He conquered death. He also had power not only over death, but he had power over man. The Bible says on that day that there were soldiers guarding the tomb. You remember the Romans... Uh, sealed the tomb and then they guarded it with the soldiers. It's interesting what Pilate said. You know, you have a watch. Uh, do the best you can. <laughs> well, you know, it's the best they can is not going to be good enough because Jesus is. Nobody's a match for Jesus, and so he had power over man. So it says for the fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, who are those keepers? Who are those men? Those are Roman soldiers. Now, Roman soldiers were no wimps. They were strong guys. They were big guys. They were trained guys. They were disciplined guys. And they had to be the best to be a Roman soldier. And they had all the equipment on. And they were nobody could get past that tomb. They were Roman soldiers except Jesus. And what happened on that day made them tremble for fear because nobody is a match for Jesus. He had power over man. Also, he had power over physical obstacles. The stone that was rolled in the way, the seal that was there, that meant nothing to the Lord. He could just walk through those. So power over any obstacles, and then power over nature. Who was it that sent the earthquake, by the way? God did. Who's God? Jesus is the Son of God. And so he has power to do that. At the right time, at the correct timing, he sent the earthquake. There are other times he sent earthquakes too. Uh, At a particular time, just for the right time, he sent that earthquake. And so Jesus did it this time. You see, he has power over everything. And so note the last three we mentioned. Power over nature, power over physical obstacles, and power over man. Those are all observable. I mean, power over man, they feared, they trembled. You could tell he had power over them. Power over the physical obstacle—the stone was rolled away, and he to let people in so they could see. Uh, there was no problem for Jesus that stone being there as he walked through the stone, and then later they put it away. But the the obstacle didn't mean anything to Jesus. He had power over that. But you could see that—you can—it was visible that Jesus was not in there. The grave clothes were there, but he was not. He had power over those those. Wrappings, it didn't keep him from coming out. He had power over physical obstacles. Also, he had power over nature. And earthquakes would bring great noise, and you could, hear, you could hear it and you could feel it. But you know the first thing we mentioned, it was not observable. And that is, he had power over death. When that happened, nobody watched it. They saw the after effects, but they, nobody watched it. They didn't see it. And you know, many times the most powerful things are never, are never seen, felt, or heard. It's the Lord working quietly. Doesn't he do that in our lives? Hasn't he intervened sometimes in your lives and done something wonderful, and nobody knew it, but you knew it because God did it. <laughs> And you remember the day you got saved? Nobody heard some rumbling. Nobody heard something. uh, God saved you. I remember when God saved me. It was in a pastor's study in Xenia, Ohio. And the pastor was there and I was there. And he knew what happened because because I told him so. I told him I needed to be saved. And I called out to the Lord to save me and trust him as my Savior. And I knew that. I, I knew that. And God was taking care of it. Nobody else. I had to go tell people what happened. But the silent thing that took place is Jesus. Uh, uh, he He changed me. He regenerated me. He made me a child of God. And God did that for me. And sometimes the most powerful things that happen are not physical things, not things that are heard or seen, but things we know took place. But God's God did them. But the power displayed at the resurrection. And then I want us to notice something else. The puniness. (laughs) That's a good word, isn't it? The puniness of the enemy, of the enemies of the resurrection. There were some enemies of the resurrection. And they were very puny, though. You know, when I was in college in North Carolina, my first two years of college, and then I went to Cedarville in the last two years. But uh, when I was in uh, North Carolina, I had a roommate. And he told me something. He said, my mom, I think it was his mom or his grandma, he said, she's puny. I thought, what do you mean she's puny? He meant she was sick. I had never heard that before. I had never heard that word used before. Puny meant that you're weak, <laughs> you know, that you're you're just little and you, you're not very strong. But he meant she was sick and she says she, he's, she's feeling puny. Well, that's not the way I mean it. <laughs> I mean, Puniness of the enemy means they're weak and ineffective and they're little compared to God. The puniness, let's look at some of those things. First of all, the doubters could not not defeat God. The doubters. Who are the doubters? Well, we read about them. Uh, the, The authorities, you know, that they were in charge of this and yet Jesus came alive and they could do nothing about it. Well, these soldiers were in problem. They had a problem. And that is, the Roman soldiers knew that if they'd lost somebody that they were, they were assigned to, it could mean their death. And did you notice they did not go to their authorities? They didn't go to the authorities and say, hey, I, I don't know what happened, but these guys, that, that, that Jesus, he got away. He's not there. They wouldn't do that because they knew they would kill him. Who'd they go to? they went to the religious leaders. And they told the religious leaders, you know, Uh, we got a problem, and it's Jesus. He's not there. Uh, He's gone. And they said, oh, that is a problem. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll give you large sums of money. I don't know what they gave him, but they gave him large sums of money, but I'll guarantee you it wasn't worth it. (laughs) They gave him large sums of money, and uh, they were to lie about it and say his disciples came by night and took him away while we were asleep. Oh, you would never tell your authorities that. You're not supposed to sleep on the job. But it, these authorities, the Romans and these, uh, these Jewish priests and all, they had some, they had some uh, inner workings among themselves. They made deals. And, you know, I'll scratch you back if you'll scratch mine. And they said, look, you take this money and you lie about it, and you say the disciples came by night and took him away. And uh, if they come to us and question us, we will save you. We'll make sure we make an explanation so you get out of it. And so they took their money and they spread the lie. And, and this text says it's been, been going around all, all the time after this. And see, people still tell that lie. Well, Jesus didn't uh, do that. He, his body wasn't stolen. He came out from the grave victorious. But they said he's lied. Well, did that work? I mean, did that defeat Jesus? Oh, no. That was a puny thing, you know. That was an excuse, but it really didn't work because since that time, there have been millions and millions of people trust Jesus Christ as Savior, probably billions through the, since that time. And the, and the uh, whole way we we'd, uh, date things is B.C. and A.D., Before Christ and year of our Lord. They're trying to change that, of course, but it's still true. It still all centers around that. And uh, people have been changed. Our lives have been changed. People have been saved. The doubters didn't change anything. They didn't defeat Jesus. The dynasty could not defeat him. The dynasty tried the seal. They tried the stone. They tried the soldiers. They tried all those things, but that didn't defeat Jesus the devil could not defeat him. Jesus, the devil was behind everything. He was behind Judas. Remember, uh, he inspired Judas to betray the Lord. He was behind the, the, the priest. He was behind all those religious leaders who were trying to do away with the Lord. He was behind the Roman soldiers. He's behind the Roman authorities that put the seal on there. He was behind all of this, but he was defeated. And so the devil did not fe- defeat the Lord. Death could not defeat him. You see, the puniness of the enemy. Any enemy that came against Jesus was considered nothing. As far as Jesus was concerned, he could handle it. And I remind you, the problems you have in life, I don't know what problems you're having right now, but you've come into this auditorium this morning, and no doubt there's some people with some heavy burdens on them. I guarantee you, God can handle your problem. God can handle it. And rather than you just trying to solve everything yourself, turn it over to the Lord, and he can handle it because the the enemy's enemy's designs are always puny in God's sight. He can take care of it. They're little compared to him. But then another thing I'd like to mention about this account today is the preeminence of the gospel. I noticed something as I was reading this that uh, I think is very interesting. And do you know the first time the gospel was ever preached? you know the first time the gospel was ever preached? The gospel is what took place. I mean, before they told what was going to take place, but the gospel is, uh, I delivered unto you that which I also uh, heard that, uh, what the Lord gave him, and Paul said, how that Christ died for our sins, past tense, He was buried, and he rose again the third day, and he says that's the gospel. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Where's the first time the gospel was preached? The angel preached it. The angel preached it. Look at verse 6. It says, He is not here, for he is risen. I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 5. And the angel answered and said to them, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, what? Which was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. That's the gospel. The the angel preached the gospel the first time. He said, Jesus who is crucified, he died for you. He is risen again. That's the gospel. And I noticed the preeminence of the gospel at at this, this time. And that is, this was the message. This was the message. Now, the angel could have told other things, couldn't he? The angel could have said, I want to tell you about my power when I rolled that stone away. (laughs) I want to tell you that that seal was no match. I broke that seal, no problem. I rolled that stone away, but he didn't tell that. He didn't tell about, oh, you should have seen this spectacular display of that earthquake that took place. He didn't tell about that. He said, I have a message for you, and that is Jesus Christ died, he was crucified, and he has risen again. And my friend, that's the preeminent message today. And that's the greatest message you'll ever receive is that Jesus died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. He died, he was buried, and he rose. That is the gospel. And because of what he did, if you'll believe that, if you'll believe that he did that for you and put your trust in what he did, you can be saved. And you can be a new person. You can, have, you can be assured of a home in heaven. You'll go to heaven someday because Jesus died for your sin. Some people have the idea, the well, way I'm going to get to heaven is I've got to be good enough. I've got to work and I've got to do this and that. I've got to turn over a new leaf. I've got to change some things. And I've got to be what God wants me to be if I'm ever going to get to heaven. problem is you'll never make it because you'll never clean up that much because after all you've done, you're still a sinner. And if you could go from this moment in your life to the rest of your life, if you live to be 100, let's say you're 40 today, and you live 60 years of perfection, which is impossible to do. But if you could, guess what, you'd have, what happened? At the end of 60 years of perfection, you'd go to hell. Why? Because you had 40 years of sin that you couldn't do anything about. You couldn't pay for it. You couldn't wipe it away. It's on your account, and you would go to hell. So the way to heaven is not through good works. It's through trusting what Jesus did for you. Because Jesus died for all your sins. If you live to be 100, he died for your sins from the day you were born until the day you died, 100 years of it. If you're 50 today, or 30, or 20, or whatever, Jesus died for all of your sins from birth till death. And he paid for all of it on the cross of Calvary because all your sins were future at that time. And he paid for your sin on the cross of Calvary. He took that punishment you deserve. He paid for it so you could be free. And his resurrection was proof it's all paid for. If he did not rise, it's not paid for. He's still paying. But if if he rose, which he did, then it's all paid for. And all he says you have to do is believe that and receive him as your Savior. Have you done that? Has there ever been that time in your life when you truly trusted the Lord as your personal Savior? And then finally, we notice something else, and that is the the, the proper response of the believer to the resurrection. The proper response of the believer. I mean, if you're truly a believer, here's what you've done. Those days, those people, when they were confronted with this, what did they do? First of all, they believed. The Bible says in verse 6, Come see the place where the Lord lay. The angels saying, Come and see. Believe. You've heard about it. He told you he was going to do this, even though it might not have registered, but you, you were told about it. Come and see. Believe. And the Lord says that to us. If you're truly a believer, you've done this. If you're not a believer yet, you need to start here. And that is, you need to say, Look, I'm confronted today with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He rose from the grave. I believe He's the answer. I want Him as my Savior. I'll live for Him who died for me. Lord, please save me. And God will. You've got to start there. Believe. And so He says, come see the place where the Lord lay. Believe. And then the next response is rejoice. The Bible says in verse 8, they departed with fear and great joy. They departed with fear and great joy. Well, why fear? Well, they just met the angel. (laughs) They just observed all this. They just observed a stone rolled away. They just observed empty grave clothes. They just just talked to an angel, uh, a messenger from heaven. No doubt there was a little bit of fear, but also they were rejoicing. (laughs) They were happy. And if you trust Jesus as your Savior, if you believe, you will rejoice. Now, I notice in this passage something interesting, and that is in verse 10, the Lord took away the fear and left the joy. They departed with fear and great joy, and then they said, Be not afraid, so get rid of the fear, but you leave the joy. That's the way we are as Christians. If you truly believe, you're you're rejoicing what Jesus did for you. That's why Easter is a special day for you because it's it's just the day we remember Jesus is alive. And so we rejoice. So the proper response to the resurrection is believe and then rejoice. And then the third response is this. It's found in verse 9. And it says, And as they went, they felt as they went, to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. They worshiped him. Now, you might claim to be a believer, or people might claim to be a believer. You're here today, but uh, people might claim to be a believer and have no desire to ever worship the Lord, no desire to be in God's house, no desire to live their life uh, the way God wants them to. I believe it's just proof that they've never gone through the first two steps, and that is believe and rejoice. Because if you're truly a believer, there's something that takes place. God calls it the new birth. You're changed. And if you so-called got saved and never changed you, then you not, didn't get saved. But the true believer, he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he rejoices, and he worships. You worship uh, many times a day. Worship is just addressing God and saying, Thank you, Lord. Or, I'm glad that you are who you are. I'm glad you're you're great. Lord, thank you for this. Simple things. You know, the Lord answers all kinds of prayers. And when he answers your prayer, it's a time of worship. You don't have to come to church to worship. You can do it right where you are. You can be standing out in the woods. And I'm not saying woods is, is, is an exchange for Sunday morning. I'm not saying that. Some people say that, you know, I'll just... I just worship out in the woods. Well, you should worship in the Lord's house, too. You should come to his house because he tells you to, not because I told you to, because he tells you to. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But you can worship the Lord anywhere. So God says, there's some, let's say you're out cutting wood. I, I've cut wood, you know, I use my chainsaw and cut wood for our fireplace. I've had a few close calls. I had a pair of jeans one time I kept. I don't know if I still have them or not. But they had um, a place right down through here, and was the threads were all messed up. How'd that happen? Chainsaw. Chainsaw. I was by myself. My wife tells me not to do it by myself. I always do what she tells me to, do, but that time I didn't. <laughs> when that happened, what did that do? I thank God. I thank God. That's worship. You worship the Lord. You have a close call. You thank the Lord. You're going down the road and somebody comes in front of you and they just missed you. I mean, they, they cut you off or they came out from a stop sign and they just missed you. What should your first response be? Oh, you fool. Why'd you do that? No, your first response should be, Thank you, Lord. And you worship. You worship the Lord. And when we come to the Lord's house and we sing songs of praise to Him, down in our hearts, we should be saying, Thank you, Lord. We worship him. He lives. Thank you that you live. And they worshiped. But then there was another response they had. And we find it in verse 10. He says, And, and then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. That's where he took away the fear. Go tell my brethren. Go. Believe, rejoice. And then he says, Re- Believe, rejoice. Worship, and then go tell. Go tell other people. Go tell other people about Jesus. It's our responsibility. It's our privilege to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you to do that. Take some tracts. Put them in your pocket. And always have them available. When I come to a place where I want to give a person a tract, and I reach in, and I forgot to put them in my pocket, I just feel so bad. Because it's a perfect opportunity to give them something they could take with them and read it later. And not just telling them about but something that tangible that they can look at later as they think about it. Take them a track. There's tracks back here. Take those. There's some out back there. There's some up in the, in the, in the uh, rack up there. Take a track. Tell people about Jesus. And God, the Bible says, go tell. So the Christians should go tell. See, today we've covered the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the person of the resurrection. His timing was just right. He paid for it all on Friday, he rested on Saturday, and he rose on Sunday. His power was displayed over every imaginable thing when he rose from the grave. The puniness of the enemy is seen, they're no match for God. And the preeminence of the gospel is seen. Uh, he is he, the one who's crucified is risen, and also we saw the proper response, believe. Also, he says, believe, rejoice, worship, and go tell. You come to the church service today. Many of you I know pretty well. Some of you I don't know that well. It doesn't matter whether I know you well or not. I don't know what's going on in your life. You do. But if you come here today and you know down in your heart, everybody might think you're a Christian, but you're really not. But you know that. And problems of life are heavy upon you right now. You don't know what to do. I ask you to turn to Jesus. On this Resurrection Sunday, turn to Jesus. He died for your sins. He paid for all of them. He rose from the grave. He's alive. He's the Savior. He offers himself to you as your Savior. All you have to do is believe and receive him and he will be yours, and you have eternity in heaven, and until you get to that place called eternity, you have a life you can live for Jesus. Turn, over, turn yourself over to the Lord and say, Lord, it doesn't matter what people think. I want you to know that today I want to trust Jesus as my Savior. If you're a Christian, you've come here with heavy burdens. Remember, the Lord can take care of all your problems. He can take care of all the, the things that you face because he's able He's the Savior. He's the Son of God. He is able. Thank the Lord today. He is risen. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for reminding us again of this old truth that we all know. But we need to be reminded of, Lord, that Jesus, our Savior, paid for our sins, but then he rose from the grave. Thank you so much that you did that for us. If there's somebody here today without Jesus, as we give the invitation, help them to come and put their faith in you today, we pray in Jesus' name.